welcome, welcome, welcome. This is EM Over Easy. Uh, you have Tanner, Andy, and Drew all right here. Though I looked at both of you individually, the opposite name, but that's that is all right. True. Uh, we're synonymous in the department. People yell Drew and or yeah, Andy, yeah. and we're just like, what? I do not respond to Andy in the department. That's a lie. <laughs> I respond to Drew. This is uh, the first time we've all three been together in a little while, I feel like. Except since the last time we recorded, but that's cool. Don't worry about it. No, wasn't there another one? No. Uh, maybe it's just the app episodes that have been posted. Wait, that's, 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 that's what they're You're thinking of the way they're posting and then where we're recording. Gosh, it's so complicated when you post after we record. Anyways, um, so I have a quick lead-off for us. I just want to know what music you listen to in the department. Anything that's not country. And why do you listen to it? Because country slows me down. And Drew is done. <laughs> so since Drew uh, knocked out like a third of what I listened to, so I, and I've got a couple different mixes. Um, I've got a morning shift mix, which is mostly, to be honest, it's mostly like pop, rock, alternative. Um, I mean, that's particularly just because I hate mornings. I need something that, like, wakes me up and keeps me vibrant. But my kind of my go-to is I just have a kind of greatest hits in my iPhone. It's set up with anything that I've listened to over 20 times. So, like, since Justin Bieber and Jessica Simpson and Britney Spears' greatest hits? Or? I don't think I have any I, I'm of those. I'm pretty sure I heard there's some Alanis Morissette in there. Yeah, because you uh, said greatest hits, so that could be any sort of greatest hits. So it's greatest hits from the mix that I purchased. Not necessarily greatest so, hits. So, so far, you, for anybody Still, who doesn't know, you have just you've defined Nothing about what type of music. Justin Bieber's still in play here. Other than <laughs> still in play. Other than we've we've got that you like country and you're not allowed to listen to it when we work in the same area. Well, it's because I don't want my productivity to go down. Right, well. or, or I don't want your productivity to go down, so my productivity has to go up. Um, so no, it's it's mostly like alternative rock. So um, like uh, now, okay, now we're making we some progress. We're going somewhere. Okay, Jack Johnson, um, some Weezer. Yeah. Is Jack Johnson really rock? Well, how, what is Jack Johnson? That's the question. He's more like... Vacation music. Vacation, like Hawaiian music, like I think of being there's, on the no, beach. There's, there's, there's actually a genre that defines what is you're, it, what you're describing. Indie rock? It's, no, it? it's College Top 40. College That's Top actually the name of the genre, okay. yeah. So well, that like, means I listen to College Top 40. radio station? So, like no, no, so or it's, it's... XM or... It's... When I was, like, when I was in college, you know, it's... Uh, Third Eye Blind and Matchbox yeah. Twenty. Yeah, also yeah. when I was in high school. So when you were in high school, I think you were you had just been born. Um, <laughs> I, I, throw in a little Hootie and the Boat Blowfish yep. in there, Chin Blossoms, whatever the case may be. So some of that would merge into alternative. Some yeah. of it actually has some country flair to it. Yeah. Some of it's poppy. But the the overall genre is just considered like college top forty because okay. it's kind of popular but not too grungy or specific. Yeah. It's not in too anyone. heavy. It's not too light. It's right. Kind of right in the middle. Yeah. So um, we actually called it. Uh, so there's some music I listen. Two ownership, so, but we, I, I, it's like sissy music, and, and I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit it that I listen to a lot yeah, of sissy no, music, true. right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. So, but I, I like to listen to music depending on who I'm working with. So I don't step into country if I'm working with Andy, but if I'm working with somebody who's a little older, that's more of the classic rock guy. I mean, love myself some classic rock, so I'll put that on if if that's the genre that the person I'm working with me is. A couple night shift guys like things a little more upbeat, a little more vibrant. So then I do a little more alter, you know, modern alternative with a little techno in it. Um, and then if it's just me and I don't care about who's around me, then I truly just rock uh, like. 90s awesomeness yeah. and, and it brings up Drew brings up differences like when I work with a couple of night docks I have a couple Pandora stations like I actually have a KJ station that over the course of working a bunch of shows with KJ I've slowly picked songs that I know he likes every once in a while there's like a, he's like yeah, he'll yeah. look you be like good tune good tune yeah, yeah. and then so, sometimes he looks at you like what and 
but you playing. Yeah, it's a little bit more like in the club, but on a low like a low club with with KJ, where uh, with Juan, um, uh, he really listens to everything. So and every once in a while, you got to throw in a little bit of like. I don't know. All, truly alternative, like random music, and that, that's what I was yeah. So what, you know what amazes me is because sometimes you can look at somebody, you can say, "Hey, this is the kind of music you're gonna like," and then there's other people that you look at them, and you're like, "I know what kind of music you're gonna like," and then you ask them what they listen to, and it's the complete opposite. No, it's true. We have a death metal attending. Have you not worked with them when they play their death metal? No. Is that Cortez? No. no. She's blonde. Really? Yeah. No way. Yeah. If you let if you let her drive the bus on the music station, it will be death metal. I'm it's really low, so you can't really tell it's death metal. And then you look like we're listening to death metal. I'm gonna have to. Which kind of doesn't make sense. It's ER Dodge, so you should be listening to death metal. But no, but it's like hardcore, like. It's angry music. Guitar riffs and angry and like right. head bobbin and yeah, no, it's completely true. Head bobbin. Is that head the bobbin. official term they use in the death metal world? Wow. I, I don't know. <laughs> I think we have totally stepped outside our line of comfort. So. Music's important on a shift, right? Yeah. So I, what, what I can't stand is I actually don't really care most of the time what music is playing. I just hate having to listen to my own thoughts for 10 straight hours. Silence does not play well with me. Yeah. And, and Drew and, says that, but the first time I learned John did, Drew did not like country music was is that I turn my music on and I go see a patient and I come back and my music's off. And I'm like, oh, what? Oh, it's a Tim McGraw song. And then I come back and then wait, oh, wait, my music's off again. And then finally I'm sitting there and Drew's sitting there and he just kind of whips around and goes, I don't listen to country music. I was like, <laughs> okay. Done. So, but no, I have to admit that really it's just as long as there's something on. Um, my biggest issue is, is when people don't like to listen to music. I mean, I understand the noise factor. I understand the, we have a bunch of other ambient noises, but to me it's kind of distracts me from, I don't know, being not The pain of seeing patients. <laughs> <laughs> so basically Drew doesn't like to do his job. Music makes that yeah, more yeah. It makes it easier. Yeah. It makes it tolerable. Yeah. Some people use drugs and alcohol. I use music. That's fair. It's definitely. Uh, I find it better for my overall patient care. Yeah, and for your future med- medical license and everything right. else that you have to worry about. So, I think it's food time. Yeah. All right, so we're recording again. That food was yummy. As always, DK Diner does not um, unimpress. Unimpress. Does not unimpress. Why the double negative? I don't know. I'm trying not to. I'm not. I'm trying not to say the yes/no phrase. Oh no! I, I believe but that's, was... ba- that's basically the more intellectual version of yeah, no. For the internet's out there, I believe he was going for it. Does not disappoint. Does yes. not disappoint. So now that we're done with my grammar, which we all know is awful, um, we wanted to talk about hashtag Southern Ohio. So high. Oh, so high. I was going to, you could probably blame it on that. Whatever intellectualism I had moving to Ohio was probably taken a little bit out of me when I moved to Southern Ohio for the years that I was there. All right, I've picked on Andy enough today for now until the next thing comes up. Let's talk about something clinical. All right, so I wanted to talk about your approach to the pediatric patient. So mostly just because, you know, we all know that they're not little adults and that some adults act like little children. But Wait, what? Your, 
that's what crap. That's the big thing on Twitter and social media is that you know kids are not little adults. You know, a lot of people like to say they are. You think that's the big thing on social media? Yeah, it's I mean, I think a lot about like Reboa. Uh, <laughs> when you talk about pediatric stuff, they talk about how oh, okay. children are not little adults. When we go to children, right, right now it seems like Smack is big on social media. Yeah, no, I don't know. I just very big. Seriously, I want to go to Smack. Holy cow! Das Smack in Germany next year. Smack is that what they're called? There's, there's a tease. There's a total tease because uh, somebody was wearing a Smack Vancouver shirt, and I'm like, well, now that has got my name all over it. Yeah. But no, Das Mac. Das Mac. I kind of like Das Mac. That's, yeah. That's cool. yeah. It'll be interesting to see where they go in 2018. There are people who are already like talking like Ivory Coast, South Africa. God, we have no focus today. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the approach patient. to the pediatric patient, Tanner, how do you do it? Uh, I think probably the best advice I ever got early on in uh, medical school by my mentor was when you're when you're going to see a pediatric patient. The best thing you can do is try to get a sense of what's going on without even actually being in the room. If the curtain's open, if the uh, door is glass, try to get a view of how that kid looks before you're in the room and kind of disturb the environment. Um, Because we all know kids can be very temperamental, they can easily get scared, they can cry and scream and yell. Selfie. I don't know why I just made like a peace sign. That was weird. Um, anyways, so the but, but I think getting a sense of what that kid looks like without you disturbing it is really important. Um, and then from there, you know, your physical exam assessment is all whatever you want to do. But um, to me, getting that initial impression of what they look like. Do they look sick? Do they look not sick? Without disturbing the environment is as important as you can get. So there is no way to look in ahead of time. That first five, ten seconds when I get in is the most important ten seconds of my interview because I can say, that kid looks really weird and not good, or that kid looks completely fine just around the room and I'm going to get in and out of here as fast as I can. Yeah. Yeah, no, the big thing I remember um, when I got some advice was, uh, remember that when you're taking care of a kid, you're really taking care of two people. You take care of the kid plus the parent or parents or grandparents, whatever their surrogate is. Um, and the, the majority of the time is that it's so hard because I think about my, I have three kids and, you know, my kids enjoy going to their pediatrician because they've seen their pediatrician for years and they go every, they go once a quarter, they get their immunizations from them, they get their well che- checks, like they look forward to going and seeing their pediatrician. So they have this big rapport, my, my wife and I both enjoy our pediatrician and like some of our other patients we only have about 30 seconds to prove to parents that one we're capable and that we we, we are worth their child's time um, being evaluated and so I remember when I first started in medicine to me it's almost like the Monsters Inc. paradigm where it was I was just going to get in do my job um, I was going to see the patient regardless of how much they screened and then I realized that it's somewhere along the way that actually if I could lighten up the room and get the mom and dad to kind of you know feel a little lighter about the situation, you know, definitely kind of build a relationship of trust in that first 30 seconds, whether it's joking around with the kid or joking around with mom and dad or playing a game, something like that to kind of get the kid's uh, approval of me. They'll actually let me do a full physical exam. So that's an interesting approach. I think the, you, I, I do something completely different. All right, I go grab a yardstick <laughs> and I walk into the room and I poke from a distance. All right, and if it moves and screams, it goes home. And if it doesn't, I transfer it to the children's hospital. Done. And the simplified version. Interns out there, do not listen to this. <laughs> do not advice. listen to Dr. So I 100% agree that you're not, you have a short period of time to create a relationship, and it's even more important when you're talking about pediatrics and their parents and all that. I, I, I can't argue with any of that. But I think there's, when I walk in the room, I find with pediatrics, for myself, I have to make a quick decision, right? Yeah. So I have to know which direction I'm going. Yeah. 
is this a kid that I have no concerns about, right? That I look at the kid, and it doesn't matter what mom says next, right? This kid looks fine. Not that I'm not going to evaluate it, and I'm not going to consider a, a differential diagnosis, and there's still the potential this kid's sick, and I just don't see it, but I, I'm like, cool, the kid's fine. So that's category one. Category two is the kid that I'm like, you know what? You're sick, but you're not sick, right? So you have otitis media, you have uh, pharyngitis, pharyngitis yeah. you have strep throat, you have, I mean, whatever the case may be, right? A, a, a non-severe croup. This yeah. is a, you know, a kid that isn't going to have an airway issue that you look and you're like, I have no doubt that you feel miserable. You're going to have a fever. Mom's going to tell me this horror story about how awful the last 24, 48 hours with you has been. But you're fine, right? You need a little TLC. Maybe you need some Zofran. Maybe you need some penicillin. Maybe you just need some Decadron. Maybe you need nothing other than a Popsicle, and you're ultimately going to go home too. And then there's the kid, like I had yesterday, come wheeling back, that I look at this kid and I go, hush. This is not good, right? Yeah. And then the nurses stick the pro, you know, rectal thermometer in, and the kid doesn't squirm. And I go, well, this is worse than I thought, right? And then this is a kid that all of a sudden you go from zero to sixty on that. You know, you, you actually in this situation, I tagged him with the other uh, the other doc I was working with, and so we did the initial assessment together. There was a language barrier. We're getting language line going on. He's doing assessment. It's febrile. The kid's not breathing right. They're coughing. He's kind of lethargic. Not kind of lethargic. He's lethargic. I got enough history there. I actually went out and called the transfer center and said, hey, I don't have any results for you, but I need your critical care team um, to take this kid, and we're going to start a workup, and I'll get as much done as I can before you get the here. Longer I take and they go, you come here. perfect, sounds great. And in that time, the other physicians actually on the language line, getting the full history from mom and dad. Because it doesn't really, at that point, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter. really matter. Yeah, you know your disposition. For knowing where this kid's going to go, it matters for what else we're going to do until the kid goes, and yeah. for what they're going to do when they get there. But we, I, I mean, the decision was already made, and nothing was going to change the decision that this kid needs to go to the pediatric hospital and I don't feel comfortable putting them in just Joe Schmo ambulance company yeah. it needs to go with the the team that is comfortable taking care of yeah. sick kids yeah. um, so that's kind of that's my approach to kids and then I mean how you examine them and all that I think there's people that are a heck of a lot smarter than me I like to do the thing where if the kid's not that sick you know I joke with them like hey can I look in your ears I want to make sure there's no cats in there or can you show me where your heart is do you, ever, sound? Do you ever meow in their ear what when you're looking for the cats do you ever find any because I try it's not that you mentioned cats I, I, I go, put something I go, that would maybe yeah. possibly be in there like I put like a butterfly or something that's a little more like small for them like I, I, you know, I, want, I want something that's totally obscure like if it's a, something if it's completely impossible to get right. in there but then you go oh my gosh there's a cat, there's a cat in, in there and they're like no there's no cats in there right you know like, hey can you show me where your heart is and they point to me do you know what sound your heart makes and they kind of look at me like well does it does it bark does it go woof 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 does it go meow 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 oh, alright that's good and then you know and I listen they listen things like that and then he gives a full cognitive report to the parents and say they are meeting their milestones as, ch- as children so no it's funny funny you mention that right so um, in medical school before I had a kid I really struggled with knowing I still do what where a kid What's should normal, be right yeah. and I, I don't know milestones like we are not pediatricians I I, I three blocks and three I don't what gone right like none of that's there but now all of a sudden I have a three year old at home and you have a small posse um, at at home of various ages Andy that that I can look at a kid and I go this is appropriate yeah or this is not appropriate. Yeah, there's something right? up. And there's something up. And, and, and I, I do, I don't know, maybe it's for me or maybe it's for the parents or it's a combination of both. I actually, I would say majority of the time, 75% of the time, make some mention that I have a three-year-old at home or I have a kiddo at home. And I think 
when they see a younger doctor, although Tanner will tell you I'm not that young anymore, um, and I really don't have a lot of hair on my head, that I, I think it makes maybe parents feel a little bit better to say, just to give them the perspective, like, I get it. Like, I'm a parent and a doctor. Yep. Like, I, I sympathize with what you're going through, but your kid's going to be fine. Or, yeah. I sympathize with what you're going through. Your kid's sick. I need to take it. Yeah. And it's a little icebreaker with the parents. Not no. that not having a kid is yeah. a bad thing, but... No, it's, you're, you're 100% right. Like, I... I you I want look, to be able to say that. I look forward to when I have kids so that I can look at a parent and say, your kid's fine. I have I have my own. I know what this looks like. You're good. Right now, they, all they see is me, young doctor that is probably too young to be even through high school or whatever. And sure as heck too young to have a, uh, a medical degree and almost done with exactly, medicine. Exactly, exactly. And they look at me like, yeah, like you're going to tell me my kid's fever is completely benign and there's nothing wrong. It's like, yeah, your kid's fine. They're running around the room and they're pinching me. It's Although, okay. to a good chunk of our patient population, we're like double the parent's age. So that's... Well, that also helps, I guess. <laughs> we, we are considered elders. That's right. No, but it is for having three kids. My kids have passed around most diseases that you can get that aren't serious. So when I see somebody with one of those serious diseases, I can be like, hey, my kid had this when they were your kid's age. So long it's going to last. This is what you should expect. Here are the side effects that are outside the realm of normal for this process that you need to come back for. So no, it's completely different. It's awesome. So what what do you do? The most frustrating situation for me with pediatrics is not actually taking care of the kid that's outside. So the kid fits into one of my categories and I do whatever I want with them. Hopefully whatever's appropriate with them. But the one that I struggle with the most is the category A or B, so the kid that's not sick at all, but mom thinks something's going on, or the kid that is sick but fine to go home, yeah. sometimes with something, sometimes not with anything. But how it's convincing the parents that doing nothing is the correct thing to do because parents come into you, it's two in the morning, it's three in the morning, they are at wit's end, and I've been there, We've all anyone who has kids has been there with a kid that is sick in the middle yeah. of the night, and you just want relief, and half the reason you're at the ER, you think is because the mom and the dad just can't handle what's going on at home anymore, exactly. and how do you basically tell them, your kid has bronchiolitis, and I'm going to suction their nose, and I'm going to send you home, yeah. and they look at you like... You are the devil. You have done nothing for my child. I can't believe I'm going to pay a X dollar copay where I don't have insurance. And you know, kids should all have insurance. But anyway, you know, like that's that to me is the most yes. difficult pediatric situation out there. Is I'm not going to do anything, and I'm going to send you home. And guess what? It is the 100% appropriate thing to do. Yeah. For me, in that situation, I when I when I recognize that situation is coming, I will. Attempt to kill them with kindness and say over and over and over, oh, this baby's so cute, or this kid's so adorable. Try everything in my book to make that kid laugh and smile or do something that looks normal. And then use that as kind of a jumping pad to say, hey, you know, your kid looks great right now. I think they have this. It's the good news is I don't think it's anything serious and just reassure after that but if you kill them with kindness early they start feeling reassured just naturally like oh they're saying all these cute things because if you know, the kid's sick and actually you know on the verge of something potentially really serious they're not going to look that good and you're going to be saying well they don't, they don't look good now and that kind of stuff and parents will latch on to that really quick so just doing that quick so that's important too though right because parents latch on to when, when a kid is actually sick the way we react to the sick kid, the parents latch onto that, and I've become really cognizant about how I react when I first recognize a kid's really sick, because I've made the mistake a few times of wearing my emotions on my sleeve, and, and whenever I see a sick kid, I mean, heart rate right gets go going, you know, I, I sympathize because I think about, heck, what, what if this was my kid, and then two, 
these are we don't see sick kids that often, so dealing with them is always more anxiety provoking than a lot of situations. And you can really raise the level of anxiety and concern in that room a lot faster and a lot higher than it needs to go when nurses are a little frantic, maybe I'm a little frantic, and all of a sudden the parents are straight up freaking out, and you've yeah. lost the parents as your ability to console the child, to help in the situation, to do anything, and you just took a, a, a situation that is potentially bad and made it worse. And as soon as you bring a, a sick kid into an adult ER anyway, that's going to happen with our pediatric staff. So that's like, like bah. <laughs> I wish this was video cast so you could see what you just did. Yeah. And, and that's why I go back to just poking them with the yardstick and deciding whether they go home or get transferred. So, so I think on top of what Tanner said is you want to make sure you get on the you get the parents on your side is you focus on the fact that doing nothing really isn't doing nothing. So us doing nothing means no antibiotics, it means no prescriptions in the department. But there's a lot of things, you know, fever control is very, very important, fluid control, and focus on the supportive things. Because if you send a parent home with instructions on how to support their child, how to appropriately treat their fever, what what kind of fluids they should be giving them, how they should be advancing a diet, the best things to suction their nose, distract them. Yeah. Like mm. if you can spin that, like they don't feel like they're leaving with nothing. You know, because again, my, my firstborn was uh, born before I went to medical school, and he was about four months old. He got a deathly fever. We didn't know what, what we thought it was a deathly fever. You know, parents, nine point eight. It was for those of you that one hundred point. It was like one hundred point seven. One. That's all right. We First go, kid, we, we go to the pediatrician. And the pediatrician and walks in. And they were teething. And he was teething. Um, and uh, so we go to the pediatrician. The pediatrician was very, very supportive, very, very nice. And she just focused a lot on the supportive things we could do. And even though we didn't get a prescription and we didn't get extra testing, we left feeling comforted to know that, one, we were do the things we were doing, one, was, was right. And two, here are some other things we could do to make our son feel better. And I think if you focus on the, what you've been doing is great. You know, you're treating their fever, you're pushing fluids. Let's add a couple other adjuvants to what you're doing. Parents will leave empowered knowing that, one, they're not stupid. Because that's 95% of parents come to our emergency department, they're concerned they're not doing the right thing. And that's half the battle, just convincing them they're doing good. And I always try to praise parents when I when they tell me they've done this, 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 and this. And uh, you're doing right everything things. right. You're it's doing like it. you are doing an awesome job. It sounds like you're doing everything appropriate, everything that I would do at home too. Here's a couple other tricks you can try. And they feel much better. Now for the sick kid that Drew brought up is the, the anxiety-provoking kid. The, the, Keep up. The real struggle to me is is getting your ancillary staff on board with being calm. Because nothing is nothing is worse than having a sick kid and getting a young nurse or a young tech who is frantically about you know they're concerned because they don't do this very often with kids and then that just exacerbates the room where they run out and they're frantic and they're very loud and they're boisterous and then mom hears out in the hallway that she's telling her friend this is the sickest kid I've ever heard and it's just it just exacerbates. Well, it's because it's so, a sick kid and they haven't seen one yet. But and, 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 and the onus is on us, right, to to rein in our emotions and even yeah. though we are anxious about a sick kid being sick that yeah. we need to be the ones that are calm and be like hey guys you know this is going to be we're going to get this figured it's out it's going to be okay we're yeah. going to get it figured out I, I, yeah. I hesitate to use the word it's going to be okay because sometimes it's not and yeah. I don't want to be the guy to say everything's going to be fine yeah. and then it's not fine because that's yeah. just poor form but staying calm ourselves even even if our heart rate is 120 making it look like we're as cool as the uh, you know underside of the pillow and exactly. keeping the, the level down in the room a little bit exactly so well, I think we've covered basically how to approach the pediatric patient. I Poke them like a bear. Poke them like a bear. No, don't do that. Hashtag yardstick. Is that what we're going to introduce hashtag for this episode? So, all right. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. Um, uh, I know some of us have to go to work, and some of us get the more. Well, I think all of us work today, actually. Just at various times. Oh, this is weird. Normally, one of us is coming off a night shift. That is true. Well, I didn't leave the hospital until 12:45, and 
All right, there's a technical night shift. All right. We win. Well, until next episode, we'll see you guys later.